And we're going to continue this time of worship with a reading this morning from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Sunnybrook family. Hi, Tom. Um, For those of you that don't know, my name is Zane Sutherland, and I am the kids minister here at the church. Um, And so this is a broken drum cage now. This is what is referred to as National Youth Minister Preaching Day across the nation. Just kidding. Um, But I'm actually really excited to get to share with you this morning. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas time. Um, And I'm excited to get to share what I feel like God has been laying on my heart over uh, probably the last five months of just some convictions about how um, I lead my family and some stuff like that. Um, and so I hope that this is a challenge as well as an encouragement to you at some level. Um, so if you, if you were to go to Fort Collins, Colorado and go to 3525 Silverleaf Court, uh, you would find my parents' house. It's a place where I grew up uh, in Colorado and, and love that place, absolutely. Um, but if you were to make your way into the kitchen... Um, and then walk into the dining hall and turn around, you would see on that wall um, that connects the kitchen and the dining room, uh, on on the corner, a bunch of little marks running down the wall. And next to each and every one of those ticks, there would be a name and there would be a date, right? And, And I know most of you probably have something like that in your house, but it was a way for us to track my brothers and I growth over the years, right? And so down at the bottom, you would have Jake 2008, all this other stuff, and you would see his tiny little line, and then it would go and go and go. And it was, again, just a way for our family to track to see, like, are we growing, right? And as the tallest one in the family, uh, this was always a proud moment for me when we had, like, evaluation day, right? Um, But even as the tallest, it was really easy for me to, like, want to try and embellish that a little bit. You know what I mean? You guys know when your parents are like, okay, let's measure how tall you are, and you would try and do all the different tricks to make sure that you were the tallest. You know, and so I, I was always the king of like the, the standing on one tippy toe and like making it look like I was floating just to get those couple extra inches, or, or, or the one where you're just extending yourself like crazy and like reaching your neck. And I remember my mom and dad would always look at me and be like, you look ridiculous right now. <laughs> right? Like n- nobody walks around like this. Like, that's just not normal. And stuff, and so they said, no, like, stand how you normally would, and let's get an accurate picture of who you are. And, of course, we would stand then on the wall like we should, and they would take our measurement, and we'd figure out where we were. And and the interesting thing about that is that with each and every one of those marks, there's a lot of stuff that happens in between, isn't there? Like, sure, we, we can see where we've grown, Um, But there's a lot of things that happen in between those marks that have got us to that point, right? Sure, that may be a a, a physical picture of where we're at. Physically, we've grown this way. And yet there's so much more behind each and every one of those marks, isn't there? And, And we all know that. There's stories behind those marks. There's experiences. There's hurt. There's pain. There's joy. 
There's all of these different things that, that happen in between those marks to get us to where we are. And, and, and for me, um, I, I think the, the beginning of a new year or the end of a year uh, gives me a chance to kind of step back and look at the wall for a minute, as it were, and to evaluate where, where am I at, and to look and to see, ha, have I grown at all? What, what are those experiences in between the marks that have helped shape me into the man that I am today? Um, and the problem, I think, for, for me sometimes is that I'm, I'm so good at just moving from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, that, that if I don't stop to really reflect on the things that God has been doing in me, and that God has been doing around me, then, then I just miss out on a lot of the blessings that God wants to invite me into, to see how he's working. And so this morning, that, that's what I want to do, is I want to just pause for a second and give us an opportunity to look at that space in between the marks, and to hopefully challenge us to see, you know, where, where are you growing? But in order for us to, to know where we're going, we have to have kind of like a mark to see exactly what we're looking at, right? And so if I were to say this is a wonderful time for us to, to take a current, accurate picture of our spiritual condition, that's a lot, right? Like that, that entails a whole lot. And so if I could kind of narrow in a little bit more, um, I think I would want us to kind of examine how we talk and maybe the, the language of our life. And I'll explain that here in a second. And my prayer over these last couple weeks and couple months as, as I've been thinking about this sermon has been that we wouldn't be the people this morning that are trying to embellish who we are, both rightly or wrongly, right? I mean, I think in, in moments like this, it's really easy for us to kind of inflate ourselves to, to think that we don't have any problems in this area or to be like, man, I get nothing right, right? And so my, my prayer is that as we kind of look at the wall and we look at the check marks, that we think rightly about ourselves, and when we think rightly, we're able to grow from that place as God desires us to. And so, so that's my prayer, is that as we look at the language of our life, we accurately see how we speak and then we grow from that. And so what, what I mean by the language of our life is that each and every one of us have values. There's things that we value in our life. And then the language of our life is how we communicate that through our language and our lifestyle. And so that, that's what I want to look at today, is looking at what do you value as a human being? What, what do you value as a child of God? And then how are you communicating those values to the world around you, both in your language and in your lifestyle? And, and where this started for me was uh, uh, several months ago. I, I, I have a son, as most of you know, he's amazing. I think last time I preached, I brought him on stage and that, whew, that never ended well. Anytime I do anything with Elias, you know, Jim has to one-up me, and I think he brought his son up and tried to hold him. So we're not going to do that today. Um, but it, it, if, if I can tell you where a little bit of this started, uh, it started as, as, uh, as a dad, I was sitting in, in, our, in our sunroom, um, kind of doing some work. And, and you know that moment as a parent when things get strangely quiet in the house? It's a scary thing. And so in my head, I began to think, I wonder where he's wreaking havoc right now. Because like 18-month-olds, that's what they're good at doing, right? They get into anything and everything, and holy cow, he is, like, he's, he's a wonderful, beautiful kid, but he's good at, like, destroying stuff, right? And so I remember thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to try and turn into a little bit of James Bond here and do some spy work to see where he's at. And so I got up quietly from my chair, and I, I kind of walked into the kitchen, and I peeked my head around to see if he was playing with the pots and pans, and I saw nothing. And I went, oh, shoot, where is he? And so I kind of moved my way then into the living room, and I, 
I peeked over the recliner and I saw his little head, but he was hunched over and so I couldn't see what he was doing. And so again, as a spy would do, I kind of moved my way around so that I could see a better picture of what it was. And there in the recliner, Elias had my notebook and he had a pen he was just scribbling. I remember just standing in the kitchen, just watching and going, wow, this kid picks up on a lot. You see, because that, that, like, that's what I do, right? As a dad, I, I sit there and I think about things and I write them down in this notebook. And, and, and Elias, in, in the time that I wasn't watching him, bad dad, but as I wasn't watching him, he had found the notebook and he had found the place that I normally sit and he put himself in that position. And that, that wasn't weird for him to do what his dad had done. And I remember just that being a very cool moment and a very challenging moment. And so over, over the last several months, I've become a lot more aware of, of the things that I've been communicating to Elias. And so it, it's not weird for, for me to find my son in the kitchen as my wife is cooking, pulling out pots and pans and stuff. Why? Because that's what mom does. Like that, that's just what she does, and so that's what he does. Or it's not weird for, for me to be watching a soccer game, and I don't just watch a soccer game as a coach. I have to talk through it, and, and it's fun to kind of teach Elias like what's happening on the field and so it's not weird if you see us in our living room watching a soccer game for him to be right up front at the TV pointing and yelling at it. A little bit convicting but it's not weird for us to see that right? It's not weird for him to like I don't know what you're saying I don't even think that's right but okay that's fine. Or, or, Or it's not weird for him to be in this building because this is just where our life happens as a family. And even more convicting, it's, it's been interesting to see the words that he's begun to use, right? Limited vocabulary, but a cool vocabulary. And so it's not weird for him to, to say amen at the end of a prayer now. Actually, as, as we were at my, my in-law's house for, for Christmas, um, Dan, my father-in-law, had asked me to say our, our Christmas prayer and everything like that. And so I, you know, feeling very spiritual and very, very gifted that my father-in-law would hand this over to me, I begin to pray for dinner. And as soon as I start, Elias walks into the kitchen, amen. It's like, nope, we're done. There's food on the table, let's eat, amen. And again, I'm like, okay, kid, no, this, this is a moment. We need to have this moment. Amen, amen. And I, everyone started laughing. And so, But it's not weird, right? Like, it's not weird for him to say that because that's something that he hears in our house. It's not weird to hear him say the name of Jesus in our house. And I, like, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of that. That like Elias knows the name of Jesus and he says the name of Jesus because we read and we pray and we talk about that. The thing I'm not proud of is that all he says now is no, right? I mean, parents, you know this part, but he's gotten to the point where all he says is no. Hey, man, do you want to drink? No. Shoot. Uh, Hey, man, do you want to go to the bathroom? No. Do you want to go outside? No. Do you want to do anything? No. Okay. Or, Or my favorite now is he's gotten to the point where he'll say, oh, no. Whenever anything bad happens, right? And so we got him this train table, um, which we'll come back to later in the sermon, but we got him this train table for Christmas. Um, and I, I spent all night putting this track together. I mean, it's 150 pieces, and this thing is sweet, right? And so we're put, I'm putting this thing together, spend all this time, wrap it like I wrapped a train table. Just pause and think about that for a second. I'm proud of that, okay? None of you seem to be proud of that, but I am, okay? I wrapped a train table with the train set on it. 
And so we, we get all of this work done and Elias opens that thing up and he starts playing with the train and not two seconds into it, he knocks the whole like top half of it off. And his response, mine was like devastation, his was, oh no. It's like, you're cute, but I'm mad, right? This is amazing. If I can tell you where a little bit of this has led, I've become very aware of what, I, what I'm communicating that is a value to my family, to the kids that I get to teach here on Sunday mornings, to the people I do life with each and every day. And if I can tell you why, why that matters for us to be conscious of what we're communicating is because we live in a world that doesn't value the things that we do. We, we live in a world that doesn't value the things of God. They don't see him as the king of the universe. They don't see him as authoritative. They don't, they don't look at this book and see it as, as the, the right way to live. And if I'm not careful and intentional with communicating what is true and what is right to my family, and I default to the world around me, it will lead to their destruction. It just will. It'll lead to heartache and to pain and ultimately, it will lead to them being separated from God because they've bought into something that says it has value, but ultimately has no value. And so uh, this morning, what I want to tell you is that what you communicate matters. How, how you talk, how you live, it, it matters because people are watching. And sure, you, you may not have little ones, but I guarantee you, you have coworkers, or you have teammates, or you have family at some level, and they're looking at you, and they're seeing the way that you talk, and they're listening and seeing the way that you live, and they're picking up on what is truly of value to you. And yet that, that tension of, of us valuing the things of God and the world valuing the things that they value, and, and us trying to figure out how do we live in a world that values things that we don't, and how do we do that? Well, fortunately for Christians, um, that's something that's been happening since the beginning of time, right? Like this isn't anything new, trying to navigate that. And so this morning what I want to do is I want to look at that text that, that Tom read. And I want to see if we can just try and figure out how we do this well. How, how do we navigate living in a world that values things that are different from us? And so to give you a little bit of background on where this starts, this is Moses and the people of Israel getting ready to go into the promised land, right? They're getting ready to go into the promised land, and the tension's the exact same, right? As God says, listen, you are my covenant people. You are people who look like me, who act like me, who, who are my representatives to the rest of the world. And you are getting ready to go into a land um, that that's not the case. They, they love other gods. They serve other gods. They value other things. Their language is different. And so I, I need to kind of show you what it looks like for you to remain faithful to being my covenant people. And, and here's kind of an important piece of that. Um, when, when I was growing up, one of the f favorite things that we did as, as, as a family was to go to the river. Right, we had this beautiful river called the Kashlapooter that was about 30 minutes away um, from our house. And, and we loved going up there all the time. My dad is an expert fly fisherman, and so we would pack up the car. We would pack a picnic lunch, camping chairs. My dad would take his fishing pole. Um, I'm the worst fisherman in the world. Like, I, like we, I, I went fishing um, down at Roaring River, which, if you don't know, it's a fish hatchery. So they literally release fish into the river, and you kind of just have to drop a pole in, and, like, they jump out. 
Like you don't even have to work. They just like come to you. I didn't catch anything. I was so mad. I hit a fish with a fly this week. And it looked at me like, yeah, that's not going to happen, man. And I remember being so disappointed. And so, like, for me, fishing wasn't the big thing. But for, for me, what I loved to do was to build, like, castles with my little brothers with all the river rock. Like, that, that was the big thing that we would do. We would try and build all these really cool forts out of river rock right along the riverbank. And so, as we were getting super excited to get out and to play in the water and all those fun things, my parents would always stop us and they would say, hey, um, before you get out, we, we need to just kind of remind you of where you're at right now. Okay. Uh, and, and this is what they would say. They would say, hey, this place is really good, okay? You guys are going to have amazing adventures. It's going to be really fun. You're going to climb rocks. Dad's going to catch fish. We're going to eat. It's going to be a great family time. But this place is dangerous. This place is dangerous. Understand, if you stray just a little bit too far, there's water that will carry you away. And, and growing up in Colorado, that, that was something that happened all the time. Sad news stories of kids getting washed away by rivers and stuff. And so they would remind us often that this place that we're at, it's really good if you use it the right way, but it is also very, very dangerous. And so be on your guard. Just be, be wary. <laughs> Understand the things that are in front of you. Quick water, animals that don't know you, people that don't know you. And so just stay on your guard. Just be aware. And, and, and if I could, that, that's the message of Deuteronomy. Right? As Moses is getting ready to send the people into the promised land, he's saying, listen, you are the covenant people of God. And this is a covenant promise that God is fulfilling to you. All the way back when he promised it to Abraham, he said, listen, you will have a land that will be your own and, and that will be you. And this is, this is that promise being fulfilled, the promised land. God's people are getting ready to go into it. And Moses is saying, listen, this place is a good thing and yet it is very, very dangerous. Why is it dangerous? Because we've already said that there are things that are against God in this place. There's things that are against God in this place. There, there are temptations beyond belief for you here that will try and pull you away from God, away from who you are as a covenant person of, with, with, with God, and will try and destroy you. And so he says, this is good, but it is dangerous. And so as any good leader would, as any good leader does, Moses gives them a game plan. This is then how you live in light of that. This is, this is how you, you navigate this good but dangerous territory that you're in. And so um, Mo Moses actually starts Deuteronomy in, verses, in chapters 1 through 4, reminding the people all of the faithfulness that God has had to them over the years. Chapters one through four, if you look through Deuteronomy, it is about God's faithfulness to his people, right? And what a, what a brilliant place to start because what defines us as a covenant people is the one that we're in covenant with and that is God. And so he, he goes through and he says, listen, this is who God is. This is how he has been faithful and I need you to remember the goodness that God has given you time and time and time again. Even though you've been a rebellious and fickle people, check this out, God has still been faithful to the covenant and he is still in love with you. And you getting ready to march into the, the, the promised land is a picture of that. And then in chapter five, he goes through and he says, listen, this is what you've promised. And this is kind of a big deal because 38 years later at Mount Sinai was kind of when the covenant was first established with the people of Israel. And then through the wilderness wandering, people had died off. And so as they're getting ready to go in, it's a new generation that's getting ready to go in. And he says, listen, we need to remind you of the covenant that you've made with God. And you need to affirm that you will stay faithful to this. 
And then finally, we come to chapter six, which becomes kind of the thesis of the book, the core, the big idea. And we come to one of the most well-known kind of sections in this, and it is the Shema. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. It says, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. And if you look closely, and if you pay attention to what Moses is saying, he's giving you a little bit of a game plan of what this looks like, how to navigate a dangerous but good land. And so he starts off by simply saying, number one, get your values right. He says, number one, get, get your values right. Again, if you look at those first couple verses there, he says, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay? Or another way that we would probably say that is, check this out, Israel, God is first and foremost. Okay? He is above anything and everything else. And because he is who he is, you should then love him. Right? Get that in order. Right? And again, this matters how we think about this. Like God is who he says he is, not because we love him, but because that's who he is. Like your love for God or your opinion of God doesn't matter. It doesn't change like who he is. And so Moses starts with the reality of who God is. He is first, he is foremost, he is above anything and everything else. Yahweh is king. And because of that reality, you should love him with everything that you are, every aspect of who you are, with your heart, with your soul, with your strength. And these things that we're talking about, this covenant language about God's faithfulness and the, the commitments that you've made to him, those things should be deeply embedded in your heart. They should be your very core. And so he says, number one, man, get your values right. Like, check your heart and realize what, what's going on in here. What is ultimately first in your heart? And Moses' call is, let it be God. Let it be God. Let it be God. Because regardless, of, again, like I said, regardless of what you think, God is still going to be first. God is still going to be first, regardless of if you put him there or not. Like, you're the one that's getting it wrong, not him. Does that make sense? And I know that sounds a little bit blunt, but it's true. So, so first he says, number one, make sure that your heart is in check and you get your values right. Number two, he says, make sure that the language of your life is covenant. He says, let, let covenant be the language of your life. And, and you see that, again, as he begins to walk through then what it says. He says, I, I want you to repeat these things. I want you to, to repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on your doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Basically what he's saying in that is like anywhere and everywhere you go, talk about this. Like this should be the lens through, everything, like through which you see everything else. And the way that you communicate like the, the comings and goings of your life, it should be in the context of the covenant relationship that we have with God. And so his call is first, get your values right, and then talk about it in a way that it actually matters. Let the language drive your values home. Like, let that be the thing that is always on your lips that you can't stop talking about, God's faithfulness and how he continues to be good to you and how he's welcomed you into relationship with him, not based on who you are, but because of who he is. Just talk about it. 
Like it shouldn't be weird. It shouldn't be awkward. It shouldn't be difficult and clumsy because this is something that you should always use. It should be second nature for us. Like I don't, I don't have trouble speaking English. Right? I do have trouble speaking Polish, but I, but I don't English. Why? Because it's just second nature to me. It's just how I normally talk. And he's saying in the same way, like, let, let the covenant relationship with your God be, this, be as easy as just talking. Let it just be as easy, like, as, as we communicate to each other, as you go into this new land, man, let that be the thing that is always on your lips, right? And then finally he says, live it out, right? It's one thing to know the things that are in our heart. It's another thing then to talk about it. But finally he says, live this out. And the picture that we get here is, is actually the very first word in the Shema, listen. In, in Hebrew, there's not like a difference between um, hearing and then a second word to obey. Like those things are just together. There's, there's kind of like just this understood that if you hear this, then you're just gonna do it, right? Parents, don't you wish that was like a reality, right? I, like I wish when I told Elias go to sleep, he would. He doesn't, but I wish that was a thing. And yet, so, so when we look at the Shema, when we look at all these different things that, that Moses has called the people to, he says, don't just hear this, but then live it out. Like, live it in a way that people are able to see that, like, your covenant relationship with God is of utmost value to you. Like, let that be the thing that defines you and, and, and changes the way that you interact with anyone and everyone. And, and, and so, that, that's good back then. But what about today, right? All of those things seem to make sense for this covenant people getting ready to go into the promised land, but what about us today? Because the covenant that we have with God looks a little bit different, doesn't it? So if I could pause just for a second and remind you of your relationship and covenant with God. Ephesians 2 And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now at work in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, so the things that we valued that are different than God, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. So do you see even in this how when we value something, it's going to be lived out? whether that's fleshly desires that will lead to our destruction or valuing the way of the Lord that leads to life. So he says, the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children of wrath, as the others were also, but God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love which he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses, you are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not from works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. And so what does our covenant look like with God? What, what is the language that should define our life? It's that. It's this, that you and I are broken, sinful people who are in rebellion against God. We don't talk like that, though, do we? 
Like we, we talk more as if like we're good people who are trying to do the right thing, right? That's Luke Bryan's new country song, right? I believe most people are good. I can't sing country, so I'm not, I can't sing at all. But like that's how we normally talk, right? That everyone's good and everything's fine. But like the reality of who we are according to, the, according to scripture, which is authoritative, right? Is that we are broken, sinful, rebellious people who have been made right by the blood of Christ. And I wonder if we just changed the way we talk, if we would live differently. If we called ourselves and we saw ourselves rightly in light of the gospel, and then we, we saw God rightly in light of the gospel, and we saw the things that he is asking us to do because of that in light of the gospel, like how that would change us. That we have gone from being people who have been enslaved to sin, now freed to do the work of Christ in this world, to be ambassadors for him each and every day. You see how like that changes everything? Just by valuing the right things and speaking the right way. It changes the way you live. And so I, I simply have three questions for us today to kind of think through as we look at the wall per se and begin to kind of look at that space in between to see where we're growing and where we're maturing. And so question number one is what do you value? What do you value? Or, or another way I guess I could say this would be, what has captured your heart? See, I, I remember sitting in Ozark Christian College's gym um, during a basketball game and looking a couple aisles across and locking eyes with a beautiful redhead. And in that moment, like my heart was captured by Beth. Like I, I remember there's something being just different and then it growing over the next several years, and now we just celebrated our six-year marriage, been together nine years, and it's crazy how that started, but I remember that feeling of having my heart captured. And I just wonder, what, like, what, what has captured your heart? Like, what's, what's at your very core? What is the thing that you are most excited about? Like, is it the work of God? <laughs> Like, is it, is it Christ our Savior? Is it God our King? Like, is he the very core of your existence? Is he everything to you? Is he the one thing that you can't live without? Is he the one thing that when you wake up in the morning, you can't stop thinking about him, and when you go to bed at night, you can't wait to think about him again the next day? That when you get ready to have conversations with other people, you can't wait to talk about the amazing things that he's done? Because, you know, I, I, I get that way with Beth sometimes, right? I, I like talking about her because she's awesome. She's amazing. Like, I married so far out of my league, right? Jim tells me all the time that if, if I get fired, that's fine. Beth has to stay. I believe it, right? But there's times that, like, I can't stop talking about her because of how much I'm in love with her. And I wonder, like, <laughs> are we that way with God? Like, are, are, are you? Are you that, that way with God where he has so captured your heart that you can do nothing but talk about him and deeply love him and desire him? How cool would that be if he truly did capture your heart? What do you value? Because here's, here's the thing. I, I told you that um, we bought Elias a train table for Christmas. It's funny to see what happens to the train when the engine begins to go off the rails. I don't know if you know this, but like the rest of the train goes with it, right? 
And so the coal car that kind of fuels everything, it, it leaves with it. The passenger car that's carrying all the fake people, it crashes into the Christmas tree and everyone dies. Not really, right? But it's interesting when, when the thing that drives our life, which is our values, is wrong, how quickly we can come off the rails. And yet, kind of like being at the river, how enticed we are to go into the water of the world around us and to not see it for what it is is dangerous. And for us to, to become a little bit enamored with becoming like a big deal and holding status at our job or in our friend group. And so we, we kind of compromise on, on, on our covenant living with God just because, you know, that status matters more to us. Or, or, maybe, um, or maybe we really like to be entertained. And so instead of, like, seeking deeper things and actually challenging our minds and stuff, we, we just settle for entertainment because entertainment has captured our heart. Or maybe sports has become all-consuming to you that all you talk about and all you think about is sports. And like spiritual discipline means nothing to you. I find it really ironic how we can perfect like a Cruyff turn in soccer, which again, there's like three people that know what that are in here, where we can perfect a free throw shot, but we can't perfect like talking to God. Something just seems awfully wrong about that, right? And so this morning, I, I hope that you pause and you think through what what truly has captured your heart. Because here's the problem, is that each and every one of us, we have, we have stated values and then we have actual values, right? There's things that we would love to project to everyone around us so, so that as we're going around each and every day, it's easy for us to say, oh yes, I believe Jesus. All day, all day, he's changed everything about me. If you come into my home, you'll see all these wonderful little Bible verses that are placed up on the wall. It's everything to me. And then in reality, like, that's just not how we live, right? Like, that's not how you talk. It may be plastered up on your wall, but it's not, like, how you interact and how you talk each and every day. And so there's, like, stated things that we want people to see, and we project out there, like, hey, this matters to me, this matters to me. And then when you get down to, like, the nitty-gritty of, like, what is actually captured in your heart, the things that are stated and the things that are actual, um, they just don't meet up. Like those things are two completely separate things. And so the question is, how, like, how can we then dive deep and figure out like, what, what our actual values are? Like how do we uncover that so that we can become a consistent person? Right, and that's the goal in this, is that we would be consistent in all things. That the things that we say and the things that we do match up. And so I, I think the way that we do that is we look at our language and we look at our lifestyle. Because again, if... if if the values are the engine of the train, then everything else kind of follows in line with it. And so if, there's, <laughs> if you have a value that's stated and then there's nothing behind it, there's no fuel, which is your language, to kind of back it up, and there's no like, actual living out of it, then I wonder, is it like, really going anywhere? Like trains run out of coal real fast, right? And so if you're not feeding the fire of something you value with your language and your lifestyle, um, it just runs out of steam. And that's why we see people who project that they have this deep relationship with Christ and then, you know, a couple years later you see the burnout that happens and, um, like, it, it's not surprising when you look at how they talk and how they live. Or it shouldn't be. And so question number two, if question number one is what do you value, question number two is, like, what are you talking about? 
Like, what is, what is the language of your life? Because, like I said, language is what drives your values. Language creates culture. It's what moves us forward each and every time. Like, we have to be able to have a way to communicate what we value to the world around us, to those people around us. And, and the way we do that is through our language. Like, what we talk about each and every day. Like, those things matter to us. And so, I, like, I, I just want to ask you this morning, like, what do you talk about? When you as a family sit down to the table at dinner, like what, what is the conversation that begins to happen? Right? And again, it, it, it can be school, and it can be sports, and, and it can be um, you know, interacting with friends and family and all those other things, but, but if those aren't done in the context of a covenant relationship with God, if those don't have some type of gospel implication as we speak about them, um, like Paul's way of saying it is actually it's empty speech is what he tells Timothy. He says there, there's an emptiness to those things that in and of themselves they lead you nowhere. Like sports by themselves, like there's an end to it, right? Like OU lost last night. OSU lost a couple nights ago. And guess what? Their season's done. <gasps> and sometimes I think like we just forget about that fact, Right? Like, we, we already are thinking to next year, like, okay, well, if this happens and this happens, then again, this is what our season might look like. And it's like, no, they're, they're done. Like, we've transitioned now into women's basketball. Woo! Right? Football's over. And so sports in and of themselves, like, w- without the, the context of the gospel relationship, actually, like, changing those conversations, like, they're empty speech. Paul says, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. And what has been entrusted to him? The gospel message. The reality of who we are because of what Christ has done. He says, guard that and avoid irreverent and empty speech and contradictions from what is falsely called knowledge. Listen, we live in a world that says this is how you should think and this is why this matters and all these, these, these different things. And the funny thing is like that hasn't changed, right? We still live in a dangerous world and there's people that call this knowledge and, and yet at the root of it, it is, it's empty, it's empty, right? It, it, it's like Jim coming up here and wrapping all of these presents and some kid getting really, really excited to tear into that thing and then opening it up and realizing, oh man, it's just a box. And I wonder how many of us have fallen for, oh man, it's just a box. Or maybe we're still staring at the package, looking at it with anticipation, saying, do something. I can't wait to get inside. And how disappointed we'll become when we open it and realize there's nothing. Like, that's the way of this world. But, but on the flip side, I wonder what would happen if we began to communicate rightly, like, the situations that we were in. Like, what if, what if when we went through a really difficult time, we were able to talk about it rightly? Like, instead of, like, um, making it into the biggest thing that we've ever experienced, being able to say, no, like, God, through his spirit, has given me an ability to endure this and learn from it and grow from it. And what if, like, we shared that with our kids? What if we shared that with other people? Because we're really good at, like, making a big deal about the struggles that we're going through and kind of ignoring the fact that God is doing something in you for that. Or we like to keep those things to ourselves, right? And what if we were a little bit more open in a wise way, right? What if we were a little bit more open with the things that God was doing in that? 
and that not being clunky and that not being weird. And I, I just find it fascinating that like for so many of us, having gospel conversations is a difficult thing. And I, I guess for me, I just don't understand that. And you can say, Zane, it's because you work in a church and this is all you guys talk about. Um, but don't you love God? Aren't you in his word? Like, aren't you talking to him through prayer? Like, why, why does the gospel have to be something clunky and weird and it sound like Polish to us and we just don't know how to operate it and we don't know how to talk like that? And when we sit down to have like a conversation with our kids and talk rightly about things, we're like, I, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know how to. If it, like, if God truly has captured your heart, then it shouldn't be weird for you to talk about him. Like, in this, I don't know if you can tell, but this matters to me. Because, parents, we are sending our kids out into a place that says that there is knowledge, but it is empty truth. It's empty boxes. And if we don't get this right, if we can't talk rightly about things and, and the gospel be something that we are able to articulate well each and every time, we're setting our kids up for failure. And, and the beautiful thing is, I know some of us are sitting in the room going, man, I didn't get this right, so what do I do now? Like, you can start today, <laughs> Right? It's not too late to start talking the gospel rightly. It's not, like, there's not a time where it's like, oh, it's too late. Well, the end of time would be. But, like, my challenge to you is start talking about the gospel now in your homes. Like, to your friends, to your coworkers, let that be something that completely grabs every little aspect of your life. And let that be the lens through which you communicate everything to you. Because again, like that little train table, the engine may be your values, but what drives that is the fuel car. And without the coal being shoveled in, without the right language being shoveled into our life each and every day, it runs out of steam, right? And so my prayer is that you would talk gospel. That that would be the language of your life. That your covenant relationship with God, that you are a sinner that has been made right through the power of Christ, and now you have been welcomed to, to do the work of God here on earth as his ambassador would be something that you just talk about as a family con consistently. Question number three then would be, so how then do you see your values and your language being played out in your life each and every day? Right, because it's, again, it's, it's one thing to sit here and to think about what actually has grabbed the hold of my heart and how I talk but at the end of the day, like, we have to live this stuff out, right? Like, at, at some level, we, we have to kind of live this in a way that is practical and real. And I wonder, I wonder if, if our life was simply an invitation to know Jesus Christ as king and then to live in light of that to invite and challenge people to that. Invite them to know God. And again, it's more than inviting people to know them as, to know him as their savior. We get that part right, right? But I think a lot of times we fail in the way that we communicate what I would say like is cheap grace. It's like, hey, God has welcomed you into his family, now go do whatever you want. Like that's, that's not like the picture we get in scripture, is it? No, like there, there, there is an ask, there's a demand when we choose to follow Jesus, and that's the living out piece. 
that, that you would live in light of the gospel each and every day. So this isn't just a language thing, but when I look at your life, I should see you loving. Like I should see you serving. It shouldn't be weird for me to see you in kids' church. Like getting down and dirty with kids and wiping snot and trying to figure out like if you're corralling them from running out of the black curtains that are impenetrable, parents. Trust me, your kids are safe out of those seven exits. That's why we're building a building. But like it shouldn't be weird for us to see the gospel being lived out each and every day in your life. It shouldn't be weird for me to come into your home and for, for me to hear the gospel being spoken around the dinner table. And I just, I just wonder this morning, as we get ready to launch into this new year and we begin to make resolutions and we begin to think about the things we want to change about ourselves, like what if we just got more excited about talking like Jesus? What if we were real and honest with trying to figure out what truly has captured our hearts and maybe tweaking the way that we talk so that in every single word that we use, we are making much of Jesus and pointing people to Christ. And so I know like this is a lot, and this is, like I said, this has been like a five-month journey for me, and so I, I could go on forever, but you don't want me to. Um, but like I said at the beginning, I think it's easy for us to jump from one thing to the next, right? It's easy for us to hear a sermon and to know like mentally, okay, now we're moving to communion and then we're gonna sing and then Jim's gonna say something and then we're gonna leave and then like life is just gonna kinda continue to happen. And I wonder how often like we just miss sitting in truth. Like hearing something and then really thinking about it. And so there's three questions on the screen. What do you value? What is the language of your life? And how do I see my values and languages being lived out in my life and the lives of those around me? And I would just ask for the next two or three minutes that you just like close your eyes. We have to do this with kids because they get distracted by everything. And I think you are kind of like kids. One, because there's kids in here. But two, I think it's just easy for us to get distracted to move on to the next thing. And so I'm just gonna ask you, close your eyes and as Steve and the band kind of play some songs, like you just choose one of those things and think through it a little bit. And to just sit in this for a moment. And to allow God to, to either convict or to encourage. Let me pray. God, I thank you for the truth of your word. And God, as, as we live in a time and a place that doesn't value the things that you value, God, it is really easy for us to be tempted um, to look more like the world than to look like you. So God, this morning, I pray that you would remind us that we are your covenant people who have been made right by the blood of Christ. And God, I pray that that reality would change every aspect of who we are. I pray that it would change the way that we talk. I pray that it would change the way that we live. God, as we examine our lives and we kind of check those marks, Father, I pray that you would give us an ability to see rightly that space in between the marks and to see the work that you are doing through the power of your spirit in us each and every day. And Father, ultimately, my prayer is that through our lives and through our words, you would be glorified and much would be made of you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.